0: Welcome to episode three, season one of Spies Like Us. Yes, we're back for a third episode, guys, and we've been getting some good feedback on social media. So I'm Phil Gursky, accompanied by Al Trennic and Neil Bisson. We're glad to be back here. Look, you know, national security is pretty serious shit, and we've, we've dealt with some interesting issues so far, but sometimes you come across uh, a story that just, it, <laughs> you make, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, as they say. And um, so a couple of years ago, I wrote a book called When Religions Killed came out um, American publisher and, and I talked about different uh, religious extremism and I talked a little bit about Hindu extremism in India. So if you're following up what's happening in India under Narendra under Modi, he's a Hindu nationalist and all these Hindu yahoos are pissed off about Muslims and Christians they think India should be a Hindu country and they does some pretty nasty shit but I, when I came across this story I, I had to share it because it's on the non-serious side and it just goes to show that uh, shit can get pretty weird sometimes. So Apparently, there's these Hindu Hindu extremists, a right-wing Hindu group called Vishwa Hindu Padishad, uh, which has asked the local zoo to rename two lions who happen to share an enclosure. Now, as it turns out, these two lions uh, have different names, of course. And the one name is named after a Hindu goddess and the other after a Muslim emperor. And this group, the VHP, uh, is not happy. Because it feels that in fact these lions are sharing an what they call and I, I'm quoting this, an interfaith relationship. And, and by doing so, that is blasphemous to Hindu feelings. So I mean, you talk about ridiculousness, right? So Hindu extremists in India, they have they've killed Muslims who they accuse of engaging what they call love jihad, meaning converting a Hindu woman to Islam. Um, there's called so-called cow vigilantes, because of course Hindus don't eat beef, and they've killed people who slaughter cows. Anyhow, I just wanted to show that sometimes uh, stuff gets pretty stupid out there, and um, extremists can do some real, real dumb shit. So, the uh, my vote for the dumb shit of the week is Hindu extremists who think that lions are having an interfaith relationship. And I'm so going to leave that, it at that, guys.
1: Would that be a hate crime, Phil?
0: I don't know, (laughs) Val.
1: It's an an act. It's an act against God and nature.
0: Well, exactly. I mean, lions. If lions (laughs) never interface relationships, then what's next? You know,
1: doesn't it it say in the Bible that the uh, the lion will uh, lay with the calf, or the lion will lay with the the lamb? Oh, there you go. I mean, look at even you know we're okay with
0: it. Are we talking about lions and lambs getting laid here? I mean, I'm sure we. Why? I I don't
1: know. Maybe I've just read the wrong Bible. I guess I don't know. (laughs) (laughs)
0: anyhow guys uh because hey we're we're together again for episode three so um what's what's the topic of the day what's the soup of the day all
1: right so i thought it would be a good idea since uh our listeners are curious about what's going on national security and foreign intelligence if we because we all had an opportunity to uh work at the coal face as phil awesome always says uh to work national security investigations. so without going into SOIA territory that's gonna get us all in trouble because no one wants to share a <laughs> cell with uh, Ortiz. So um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go and give you a brief overview of how national security investigations work. Uh, Al had the opportunity to work in a semi-management position. Uh, Phil worked as an analyst for quite a long time and I had the opportunity to work as an intelligence officer so I got an opportunity and so did Al. I had an opportunity to go out and collect information from human sources. So, what we're going to do is we're just going to give you a quick overview of how some of these things come to the attention of the Canadian Security Intelligence Service and what we do when they do come to our attention. So, go I
0: have dubbed
1: it. this I have dubbed this Operation Shadow King just because it sounds cool. <laughs>
0: Did she just make that up? Seriously? Operation Shadow King
1: In this scenario, a domestic law enforcement agency like CBSA provides the service with information on a returning Canadian who was found with many files on their computer relating to hate propaganda. And as we talk about hate propaganda and terrorism, the second part of the show, we're going to be talking about Nathaniel Veltman, who has just been uh, charged or sorry, has just been convicted. Of a terrorism charge exactly so we're going to we're going to talk about that but anyway as the uh prelude to that so upon questioning this canadian citizen started uh, stated that they had just returned from visiting family and that they thought the computer might have been used by relatives who probably voted the propaganda so and, and where I, have
0: we heard that before was it's not right. my stuff my cousin right. frank put it on right
1: exactly <laughs> just like the song says it wasn't me <laughs> so um what we're going to do here is i think we're going to basically all take our kick at the can to give a little bit of an understanding of how we would work in a team together yep. at, at the service and what we would all kind of be responsible for and what will we be doing with the information that's come in. So having said that, I'm going to pass it on to Al because he would be the guy at the, at the front there who would be looking through the box and deciding, okay, who's going to do what with this information that just came in? So CBSA sent us this information, Al. What do you do? So the the first thing
2: that struck me in the in your case is that uh, Operation was, Shadow King.
1: Let's not forget
2: Operation Shadow King. Yeah, uh, is that uh, CBSA released him? <laughs> is that what happened?
1: Exactly. So they didn't okay, have enough to keep him for anything. Scary. Exactly. Right. So they just thought to okay, themselves, so "Okay, we got nothing." They to keep released him. Them.
2: There was no uh, call for an interview by uh, CSIS officers or the CSIS at Pearson or. Uh, or wherever insect. this guy
1: came in. Right.
2: Okay. So the, we get the call in, uh, in the regional office, uh, from CBSA saying this guy came in, mm-hmm. hopefully it would be the same day. And, uh, so then we'd have to have the, uh, the IOs, the intelligence officers or the investigators, they've got to start, uh, working the street because <clears throat> the first thing we have to do is, uh, well, there's a couple of things. One. A message is going to have to go pretty quickly to headquarters mm-hmm. uh, because the service is so centrally uh, uh, organized and uh, coordinated. Uh, the message will go to headquarters that this occurred, uh, and this is what our next plans of attack will be. We'd also need to brief up the senior management as as to what uh, what had occurred and what we were going to do about it. So then the, it would be turned over to investigators like Neil right. to uh, say, okay, now's your it, it, the ball's in your court. Uh, you start uh, doing your thing. So from my side, uh, from a management point, I'm going to be looking for uh, what authorities are required mm-hmm. uh, to deploy the resources. And that would be in the liaison with the headquarters as well so that we have the proper and legal authorities to do whatever records checks, whatever investigative tools we need to deploy or that would assist you in uh, determining where they are. So I'll leave it, turn it over to you on that point.
1: Okay, so all of this would probably happen in a meeting. So myself, Al and Phil. Phil's run brought up to speed on what's going on. I've been brought up at speed. Al's sitting there telling us, okay guys, here's our call, call to action, what we gotta do here. So, where I'm looking at it from my perspective is I'm looking at Phil and I'm saying, well, do we know anything else? Have you jumped into the databases? Have you done any other checks to see if you know this guy's ever come to our attention before Has any of his uh, information that we was given to us by CBSA has that ever come to our attention before? Yeah,
2: right. And a lot of this stuff is happening at the same time, simultaneously. Yep. Yep. Right. Right. So the, briefings so, up, the messages to headquarters uh, and, and the meeting you're just talking about yep. now where tactically, we're yeah. trying to figure out: uh, Do we know this person, and yeah. right. and what do we need to do?
1: Right. So I'll pass it over to you, Phil. So as sure. a, as an analyst, you're gonna you're gonna kind of go through this uh, situation, and you're gonna think to yourself: Okay, what do I need to do with the information that's presented in front of me, so that the IO is armed with what he needs when he goes out and starts yeah. knocking on doors?
0: So okay, two important things, right? Um, from the services perspective, there, there's two kinds of analysts: there's, there's tactical analysts or operational analysts, and there's strategic analysts. So the tactical ones uh exactly what it sounds like they're they're kind of like at the coal face kind of guys um they've worked with IOs in the past they know the cases you know the individual's cases very well they terrain very well strategic are a little higher up this is what I was look at the bigger scenarios like national scenarios the second thing which is important to point out is that at least at the service uh, the analysts tend to work on things for many 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 years whereas IOs you guys are are generalists which means you know you'll work five years far right you'll work Two years on Sikhs, you'll work a couple years on the Russians, Chinese, whatever, and you'll move from file to file to file as your career progresses and you you get promoted, et cetera, et cetera. So in some ways, the analysts are kind of your your institutional memory in a sense, because so when I worked Sunniism as extremism at the service, I knew every case from 2001 to 2015. And I was aware of all who's who in the zoo. What do we have against these guys? And the and the bigger picture, what does it all mean kind of thing? So the analysts, I think I, I what I found in my relationship with the IOs of the service was a very complimentary one. They would go out and collect the stuff at you know, the coalface and then we'd have a chat about, you know, what does this stuff mean? Um, what do we know? Uh, what do we don't know? And and interestingly, and I had an opportunity to do this, which is one of the coolest part of the jobs, is, we, is even to do source debriefs together. We're in the same room with the source and, you know, the IO is running the source. So they know the source very well. The analysts can say, OK, um, we need to find out this about this, because, you know, I've read about this and it's not quite a complete picture just yet. So mm-hmm. can, you, can, can you pressure, you know, the target or whatever to learn more about X, Y or Z, and this kind of thing? So it's very much, I, I think, a mutually beneficial relationship, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, but it speaks to the ability uh, of, of different classes of employees, i.e. investigators and analysts, to work together on a daily basis.
1: Exactly. So the analogy that I always think about when I think about the collection of information for the purposes of developing intelligence is think of the hive. So you got the bees that are going out and they're collecting the pollen. They're bringing that back to the hive. And then you have the other bees that are basically making the honey and ensuring that everything is working okay with it. And then you've got the hierarchy. You, know, I mean, you Maybe, maybe it should be
0: Operation Shadow Bee then instead of Shadow
2: Bee. Shadow
1: Bee. I love it.
2: So the other, the other important thing to, to think about at this stage while you're going about it and as an investigator, you're developing your plan
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: to get out there is that at a, at a more strategic level, the service will be uh, de with the RCMP insight.
1: Yeah. Right, and that's where the role of a manager or a supervisor yeah. like yourself is going to be saying to the higher ups, "Hey, listen, we're going to deconflict with, uh, you know, this organization. We're going to, you know, send information and request for more information to this organization." Now, in the scenario that I provided, this individual had traveled up from the U.S. So, at the top of your head, Al, I'm sure you know that you'd be reaching out to maybe the FBI or the CIA or even. U.S. Customs to say, hey, listen, yep. do you know anything about this guy has ever come to your attention before?
2: Yeah. Any, any of our uh, partner uh, uh, friendly agencies that we have uh, uh, agreements already, right. already signed, right? That we have relationships. Uh, there'll be uh, trace checks going out.
1: Right. At and place. that will probably but get, will who, probably get know, sent down to Bill to be like, okay, listen, this is what I want asked. Yep. Write something up. Make sure the proper caveats are on there. Let them know what we got, and yep. send it out.
0: And this is a good, desk a good point. Do that.
2: Uh, the operational desk would do that. They would be in consultation with the headquarters analysts. Yep. Uh, but that would go out pretty quick mm-hmm. uh, to for the tracing in this particular case, operation. Right. This and, is a, this uh, is maybe a,
0: a good point uh, also to illustrate that you know, a lot of people you know think that our our relationships are limited to the five eyes. Everybody knows <laughs> what the five eyes are. You know, when I worked in St. it was all. Five, it was only five eyes, right? But you know, we we at the service had this what we call a Section Seventeen arrangement as all of our legislation, where you can basically talk to anybody as long as you get the you know approval from. Uh, I think it's Global Affairs and Public Safety that says it's okay to talk to the lower Slobovians, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 therefore you could get really good intelligence from people around the world who might and mm-hmm. help you understand the case that you're working on.
1: Exactly. You know, exactly. That's right. Now, for me as an intelligence officer, I'm going to look at this. And when I look at a target, I'm looking at actually what you would see the target that I want to either uh, recruit or the target that I want to talk to to find out information about is going to be the bullseye. So I've got to ask myself, what's the advantage of me going and talking to this guy right away? Because if I talk to him right away. And he has an understanding that the service has an interest in his activities. Is it going to make it harder for us to figure yeah. out what is actually going on? Yeah. So just like with a target and just like with a bullseye, you see eccentric rings going out. Yeah. So you think to yourself, well, maybe I'd be better off to just talk to one of these outer yeah. areas here and figure out what's going on first before I dive in. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the conversation I'm going to have with Phil. That's a conversation I'm going to have with Al. And I'm going to tell him this is my plan of action. And once we get a little bit more information from maybe one of these peripheral guys or gals or organizations, then we'll figure out what we're gonna, our next steps are going to be. Because, you know, sometimes it turns out to be nothing. And sometimes it turns out to be a bigger picture. And sometimes the person that you think is the one you got to worry about is not the one you got to worry about. It's somebody else.
0: And I think it's important to add to them. This, this is a moving target, right? Not target mm-hmm. literally, but I mean, these things, they, they evolve on the go. And sometimes as you said, you know, you can actually maybe turn a target into a source, into an asset for us. Right. Um, well, that should be number one. Exactly. <laughs> end, I mean, it's you, always you been mine. That is number one. You, you don't want to spook us that, so that he won't... does, you know, he's off the radar, but sometimes you can get him, hey, you know, look, at, we know a lot about you. Uh, mm-hmm. You might want to either clean your shit up or we've got maybe some ideas that we could, you know, we could discuss kind of thing down the road. So yeah. Yeah. Some of them some of them do put
2: on the Team Canada jersey. Some don't. Yeah.
1: Yep. But yeah. And you know what? And Canada even you know, if they do also put
2: on you know for uh down the road for, yeah. uh, security intelligence investigations forum right as right.
1: well and and maybe you can talk a little bit to it all about the fact that when you're doing this you're doing it under a general understanding a general investigation because at this point in time we don't have enough on one individual to say okay this is a selected person that we need to target and put more powers against we've got a general overall so, correct
2: and but that so the the management will take Take everything that that uh, actually the investigator will uh, will put together, and it's up to the investigator really to kind of build the, the case mm. and then the uh, the management side of things is to make sure that um, everyone's uh, on the same page on this yeah. investigation right yeah. right and if it looks like that it's going to go somewhere you've got to make sure that there's resources available mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have to if those resources are going to be deployed uh, you have to make sure that they're deployed according to competing priorities mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. that area because this this individual may not be a high priority yep. right. at the moment In uh, the grander, or even he, resource he might, allocation yeah he might fit it right yeah
1: that's yep. where the management it might change guide yep. comes in
2: and then uh, you know once you say this is where I'd like to go with this with this file uh, mm-hmm. against this individual or start with this individual, but this is where I'd like to go with it, then that's when the management will come in and support for, say, uh, additional author- investigative authorities tools that you might need, such as uh, legal, legal warrant. Uh, Section 21 warrants yeah. uh, for technical intercepts or mm-hmm. uh, physical surveillance. surveillance. Yeah. Uh, and and those are, are, are very costly uh, yeah. resources. Endeavors, yeah. Yeah, so sure. that, that's why you know management has to has to do basically it's risk management of the resources available,
1: right? The limited resources that are available. So, okay, I see by the the clock on the wall that we're about seventeen minutes into this yeah. uh, podcast. So this might be a good opportunity now that we've given our listeners a bit of an overview of what it's like. If they've got questions or they want us to go deeper into this, we can you know talk about that maybe in another podcast. But there's no we'll point. Let... You already recruited the guy. Well, of course, that, that's that's typically what happens. Seventeen as, minutes but, is all it takes. and Bill will tell you, it's just my you know my my boyish charm, and they just uh,
0: let That's not go down there. But no, yeah, this yeah. is obviously this is just a this is the tip of the iceberg, and we can talk a lot mm-hmm. more in future episodes about you know what what happens when it crosses that criminal threshold. or right. road to, Then you got to start getting other partners involved. So, okay, folks, that's that's going to be the end of part two. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with uh, something a little different on part 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 two. But I think it's equally as interesting. Okay, we are back now with uh, part two of our episode three. Now, something really interesting just happened. Uh, was it yesterday or the day? I think it was yesterday. Yeah, February the twenty-second. This is being recorded February the twenty-third. Uh, a very uh, famous/slash infamous case in uh, London, Ontario, my hometown. Yay, London, Ontario. Where uh, this uh, right-wing wanker uh, back in 2021, I believe it was, decided that he wanted to take out a Muslim family. He ran over a whole family of Pakistanis, killing four and wounding one. Originally charged um, by the by the police with a first-degree murder, and then a week later, the crown decided to lay terrorism charges. So the trial went on and went on a long time. Of course, the defense uh, tried to say that the the, that the client was mentally unstable. The crown tried to prove terrorism. Anyhow, uh, when all was got put, you know, when push comes to shove. The, the, the jury found him guilty of murder. That's all they have to do. They don't have to say why. They just said that the facts are that he murdered his family. And then the judge just yesterday decided it was, in fact, an act of terrorism, right-wing terrorism. There's been a lot of press coverage about this. So this has led to an really interesting debate. And we've, we're we going to have some, uh, some differing opinions here on whether, in fact, this truly was an act of terrorism or uh, was it just murder with maybe a hate motive to it. So... As it turns out, we're so fortunate that good old Al, uh, he, he worked the uh, the, the far-right wankers in Canada in the 1990s. And as he is famous to say, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't make a cheese sandwich on a good day. But uh, Al, you, you feel quite strongly that the judge is right in calling it an act of terrorism.
2: Yeah, well, my view is uh, terrorism always has an element of hate in it. And it doesn't matter whether it's the right wing, left wing, uh, religiously motivated or you know, even anarchists, it? for that matter they hate the they hate the uh, the state right uh, there's an element in in there so um, one of the things that you, I think you have to think about is um, what sort of regime do we have in Canada for the criminal prosecution of hate hmm. um, we don't really have a no, uh, no hate hated st- st- system anymore oh well we've never had it uh, to to uh, prosecute this sort of uh activity and in fact we've only really uh, come to terms with terrorism over the last few years right uh, yeah. Yeah. under the criminal code so i always see an element of hate in there um, and as uh, somebody pointed out uh, this was a lone wolf well i'll say that uh, terrorism can be uh, attributed to lone lone wolf attacks yeah. it doesn't uh, just because it's uh, not an organized group it doesn't doesn't mean that it's not terrorism.
1: Right. And we've seen that in a lot of other countries too, right, where we guys have walked into yeah. mosques with firearms. And, I mean, this was an act of hatred, an act of terrorism that was perpetrated with a a, a pickup truck. But, I mean, you know, infor- the result is still the same. So There's uh, the one in Norway, right? With, right. Uh, there's right, one right. in Norway. Yeah. There's one in New Zealand. I mean, yeah. the unfortunate thing is you can probably pick a lot of countries and and have acts like this being perpetrated on that uh, on their soil.
0: Speaking of Norway, just I don't know if you guys read but uh, the, the the guy behind it, Anders Breivik um, he he actually uh tried to get his conditions eased. He's been in solitary since 2011 because mm-hmm. he killed 77 people. And he said that you know his life was poor behind prison. Anyway, his uh, his appeal to have, to have a lighter sentence was rejected by the Norwegian court. And I basically tweet, I said, well, you know, sucks to be him because, you know, maybe you shouldn't kill 77 people if you don't want shitty conditions in jail kind of thing, right? Yeah, and most of them young people. Exactly. But, you know, it's interesting, you, Al, you mentioned the, the, the talk about hate. And there was a case in Toronto a couple of years ago where a guy walked into a Canadian Armed Forces recruiting in Mississauga. Or, sorry, in Scarborough. Or, sorry. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I think it was north of Toronto. And he uh, tried to knife a couple couple soldiers. Luckily, he didn't kill them. The judge in that case ruled he could not be a terrorist, despite the fact he was an ISIS wannabe, because he, a one person cannot constitute a terrorist group. Now, he was actually acquitted for mental health reasons in that case. Uh-huh. He was not guilty. Uh, I believe so, you're right. Yeah. We have a real hard time in this country, I think, um, with you know the mental health angle, which the defense in, in the London case tried to use. And, and and the whole hate versus terrorism, I mean, the thing that worries me, um, and I, I agree with you, you know, hate crimes and how to prosecute them is a real problem here in Canada what worries me is that i think far too many things are being called terrorism you get you get real stupid things being called terrorism so you know putin will call any any dissident uh, or opponent a terrorist and, and you're seeing in the news now they're arresting and jailing all these people with long sentences because they're 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 opposing you know russian war in ukraine and and putin says you're a terrorist and therefore we're going to put you in jail kind of thing that that's the thing i don't want to have happen is the term and essentially becomes meaningless well that's the problem too is there's
1: the there's that visceral reaction to the word terrorism right I mean a lot of other countries are doing that too anytime there's an opponent to the current government who just sees differently than they see it they're automatically labeled as a terrorist because it's a lot easier for that yeah. country's government to come down hard on them yeah. and you know what I, one of the things that I think we need to talk about in this podcast too especially in relationship to this is that what we're seeing here is that different aspects of canadian mosaic are looking at this and saying well listen if a muslim guy walks in somewhere and he tries to kill someone everyone's calling it terrorism but if a white guy in a pickup truck runs over a family no one wants to call it terrorism and to a certain extent there is a there is a viable argument there right absolutely and this is this is where we have to kind of come to the realization that traditionally you know from 2001 a little bit on we've seen everything when we think terrorism unfortunately a lot of times we'll think oh it's an act of someone who is religiously motivated
0: yeah typically at
1: that time it was a jihadi right yeah so now it the the thing that's good to see about this is that okay well listen this is not just limited to that sector we're also seeing that people that are in that uh genre are also being attacked and that they can call it terrorism too
2: yeah. yeah. So domestically in North America, other than 9-11, most of the casualties uh, have uh, been at the hands of right-wing extremists or
0: right-wing terrorists. I don't know. Since 9-11? I don't know. You Since look at Orlando, you look at San Bernardino, we're talking dozens are killed. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, no. You're right there. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Since, so you're thinking of McVeigh back in 95, Oklahoma well, City.
2: Uh, not just him. I mean, there was a whole swack of them back in the 90s and there yeah. are, are back now. Again, a lot of them are uh, adhere to the um, fresh uh, and uh, that group, uh, the Western group, uh, predominantly Western group that uh, heritage sovereign citizens, yeah, oh, sovereign yeah. Citizens. Uh, those yeah. types, right? It's all that sort of conglomerate of uh, extreme libertarianism, uh, anti, uh, anti federal government, anti state yeah, yeah. government, yeah, yeah, stuff, right? And uh, and there are still uh, casualties happening, and yes, a lot are. of them end up being law enforcement.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out in the future when attacks are perpetrated by individuals who are associated to something like, you know, you had that debate before, uh, Phil, about the incels. Yeah, you've had that debate with others. You're like, no, this is not a terrorist organization. This Mm -hmm. is not a terrorist threat. And then others are saying, no, it is. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in the courts.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, my concern is twofold. One is consistency. So we've had, you know, left-wing attacks in Canada that no one wants to call terrorism. We had an attack on a coastal gas link project in BC a couple of years ago. Um, Employees threatened, equipment damaged. No one's calling that terrorism. We've had more than 30 churches burned in Canada over the past year and a half uh, in the wake of, you know, so-called mass graves at residential school sites. Nobody's calling that terrorism. Secondly, from a legal perspective, calling it terrorism has zero impact on sentencing. So this 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 wanker in London was found guilty of four degree, four counts of first-degree murder. Each count carries a life sentence. Mm-hmm. He's not getting out of jail anytime soon. Now, people have said calling it terrorism might have implications for a parole request, but I sure as shit hope that a guy who slaughters four people in, in a cowardly act because they couldn't defend themselves ain't getting out of prison soon, but mind you, this is Canada, right? You might get time served, for Christ's sake, you know? Yeah,
2: but yeah unfortunately. It,
0: it's, it, it's the lack of consistency, I think, that bothers me on this. Now, if, if, really? if you're going to call it's something the, terrorism, the, is, at least be consistent. It is the
2: consistency, but it boils down, I think, to the investigation the background. What's the motivation behind yeah. that? What did the investigators find yeah. that this individual was looking for? Was he radicalized, yeah. partially yeah. online? Which isn't always uh, easy to find out, though, right?
1: No. And sometimes guys are self-radicalized. Like that's yeah. the other thing too, you know, we, we always say this, well, you know, who else was he in contact with that made him become a member of this group? It's like, well, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes yeah. these individuals become self-radicalized yeah. and they decide to take out an action and, and, you know, that's, that's the result.
0: So, I, I think that, and and I if you
1: got to look at it from a justice perspective too, like part of justice is not only that the individual is punished, but that those victims feel like they've been given something that they can walk away with. And I think in this case, if you take a look at what happened, they did. They said, listen, that guy committed terrorism against us. And we feel that we can walk away from this. And of course, no one's happy that this happened, but at least they have some solace in the fact that that guy is going to jail for terrorism and hopefully he'll be there a long,
0: long time. And that's been the reaction I've been reading in the media from the, you know, the the relatives, the family, the community kind of thing. So I, I think we can all agree that, you know, this, this idiot, uh, this loser idiot um, mm-hmm. did something which deserves the greatest punishment possible. You know, I, the other thing that I, I, I worry about sometimes is if you call it terrorism, are you actually giving him more credit than he deserved? Now, have you noticed they won't mention his name?
1: No, okay. he's the accused. I, I mean, I've got his name, but I. Yeah, I we I all like know his fact, name,
0: right? And I like mention. the
1: fact that the judge said, yeah. you know what? You're not getting your name out there, exactly. and you're not getting your manifesto out there. Like exactly. this is not, yeah, but, this is not your platform."
0: But I'm wondering if you just call him a loser wanker. Um, hate-filled guy that's one thing but if you call him a terrorist does he become a hero online for what he's done
1: well the unfortunate thing is even in jail i think others will look upon him if they're on the right side of things they'll be you know on the far right they're going to look at him as some sort of a hero because he's done something for the cause but you're not going to be able to control these things so if you can't control those things you know you you should be less concerned about that but at the same time, I do appreciate what the judge said. You're not getting your platform out here. Yep. You're not getting yep. your opportunity to do your manifesto. You're not
0: getting your 50 minutes of fame.
1: Right. You're, you're a terrorist and you're going to jail. Yep. So, guys, we got about a, a minute left. <laughs> so I'm wondering, do we want to hit a couple of questions? Because we yeah, did so actually we some have feedback, someone listen right? to our podcast.
0: Yeah. yeah. Go, go ahead, sir. The floor is yours, Mr. Biso.
1: All right. So. David from LinkedIn provided us with a couple of questions because he had listened to our podcast on foreign interference. And one of the questions that he hit us, and I'm going to throw this one over to you, Al, is who do you think leaked the report that caused all of this concern over foreign interference?
0: I think it was Al. I think Al leaked it. (laughs) No, it wasn't me.
2: (laughs) Uh, I can understand the frustration on some people but uh, as to why that happened, but I think it, uh, it was a, a negative uh, response. But uh, Yeah, I'm not so sure that it was just one individual. I'm not mm-hmm. so sure that it was uh, just somebody in the service. Mm-hmm. I think there are other uh, departments uh, that uh, bear some scrutiny
0: had you access know, to the adults. had
2: access to some of the some of the material that came out uh, it wasn't all just CSIS, i don't think. Yeah. so i don't know where the internal investigation is going or has been no. and, uh, as i'm sure it's still ongoing but um, yeah as to who who did it that's uh, that's the
1: million dollar question, right? Yeah, now, I
2: understand I, the frustration. Right, yeah, that's exactly I really, what I
1: was going to say. I think yeah. this is what it came down to: is that there was an individual or a group of individuals who had been working on something, and we all know we've been there. Everything that we work on within that within the organization, we look at as it's it's high level. It's it's all this, high this level. This has been
2: going. Yeah, the frustration has been building since Project right. Sidewinder. Yes. Right, and, when, and you you work on something that's,
1: when you work on something for a long period of time that's high level and you feel like it's constantly being ignored, I'm not saying what they did was right. I don't agree with that. None of us are, did. yeah. But at the same time, I think that was the mindset. How am I going to get this message out there? Yeah. And they took it upon themselves or yeah. the group took it upon themselves to reach out to someone in the media and say, hey, here, take a look at
0: these. Yeah. So, I, I, A couple of things. I, I agree with Al. I mean, the, the assumption was it's a service employee. And I always saw from day one, not necessarily. It could be a client. It could be a client that, that you was know, receiving ceases intelligence because, you know, we have a huge client list that are clear to the appropriate level. They get intel who is equally as frustrated. Um, interestingly, too, right, uh, the, the, the choice of giving it to a journalist because let's face it, journalists are kind of like intelligence officers, right? They, they recruit sources. They gather information, they process it, they analyze it, and they write something on it. So, yep. I mean, for Except Bob instead Fyton, of
1: providing to the government that like intelligence officers yeah. do and CSIS does, they they provide it to the media, or to you know the the public.
0: Was well, a great and coup for Stephen Chase and uh, and, and Bob Fite, who've been reporting on asking for a long that time. That's what democracy's <laughs> yeah.
1: built
2: on.
0: Yeah. This, so this that, quickly,
1: is... that leads us into the second question kind of quickly here. Why was this intelligence ignored for so long? Oh, Go Christ, ahead. how what much time do we, do we have? Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <You> know, <laughs> That's okay. a loaded okay.
0: question. Real, okay, real simple. And I think we've talked about this maybe in the first episode. Uh, we have a piss-poor intelligence culture in Canada. What I mean by that is we have politicians and officials that don't understand intelligence, don't believe in it, don't think it's valuable, don't take the time to read it. We even had a public safety minister who had made it publicly. He didn't even bother reading his inbox. Now, we all know these are very busy people. They get a gazillion emails a day. But if you're not reading int- high-level intelligence on a direct threat to our democracy, we're talking about the undermining of our democracy, for Christ's sake, our elections. Mm-hmm. That points to me that we got a problem with the, yeah, uh, and the government uh, in general also, uh, understanding foreign, the use uh, of intelligence.
2: Foreign interference inquiry that's uh, ongoing. It's already running into trouble now with the... Uh, yep. Groups pulling out. Uyghurs pulling uh, out the Hong way it's been pull organized, out. And uh, yeah. you know, I it, it all boils down to elite capture by uh, by a foreign government. I'll yeah. tell you, uh, we've been
0: awful naive for a long time. Which I think Canadians, it's not just government, Canadians are naive, but and let's face it, if if you're a politician you know, national security is not a vote-getter. No one gives a rat's ass about right. national security when they mark the ballot. Not problem. yet.
1: Not yet. Not yet. This, Until something this podcast happens. is going to change everything. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> well, episode four. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We're have all the, by Episode four, we're going to have all the answers. But <laughs> you, just quickly, are- the other thing. You are
2: to a optimist, Neil?
1: Exactly. I am. I, someone's got to be because we've already someone else has already made a comment about we're just you know cantankerous, cantankerous, <laughs> pretty <laughs> and... cantankerous guys. I know it's, exactly. It's so funny. I'm the only, I'm the only shining light. Oh God, like you're said, so
2: rude! <laughs> it's like I said before. You're going to get the raw opinion and comment from us. Yeah, not that's true. That's line.
1: true. The one thing I wanted to add though was that I think one of the reasons why this information has been ignored for so long is because there is always competing. Um, interests, interests within the in the parties. And when a government says to itself, listen, you know, this other country is the second strongest economic country in the world. And we got to make nice with them, or we're not going to make money over the next so many years, or, you know, we got to look good on the stage, whatever, that's, that's what becomes a priority over Hey, listen, they're taking us to the cleaners. And they're stealing our uh, intellectual property. They're you know, doing everything they can to attack us from the cyber perspective. And it's like, oh, no no, no, they, they're our friends. They're our friends. It's okay. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll yeah. deal with that stuff later. Once I, you know, I get the economic situation. side of it.
2: I do get that. I get trade and all that. And if we're going to do that or companies, private sector are going to engage and, and want to go in on, on you know, China in this instance, um, you got to go in eyes wide open. Exactly. Yeah. And sure. I think exactly. for the longest time we haven't. All right, Very well, Canadian. I think
1: we're we're about, uh, you know, 34 minutes in now. So I'm just, those are the a couple of the questions that were asked. It's good to see that we're getting some feedback here. And I think what we're going to try to do going forward, guys, I think we're all in agreement, is as we get feedback and as we get questions, we're going to try to deal with them. And the more that people provide us with their feedback and the more suggestions they give us, the more we'll have to give back. So let's right. hope we keep it. Answers, or even
2: right. they might even be topics on uh, on one of the pro- podcasts. So, exactly. Sure. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yep. for sure.
0: Okay. So, I guess, uh, gentlemen, uh, another stellar podcast, and we've resolved Canada's national security issues yet again. One Unfortunately, step closer
1: to getting a better intelligence perspective for Canada.
0: That's right. Unfortunately, no one's so listening well, to three can't Tankers old bastards on a, on a podcast on a Friday night, but you know, we do what we can. That's so, right. Um, for you folks that were the media land let us know what you think of the podcast uh do you like it Do you don't like it do you have questions as dave from linkedin did do you have ideas for things you want us to cover we will do our best to try and uh, answer your questions and deal with your issues but uh give us a like um share our podcast with your friends anybody interested in national security issues especially from a canadian angle we're the guys doing it so we'll see you guys uh next week with uh, episode four on a topic to be determined. We'll see, you know, what happens over the next uh, seven rotations of the earth. How's that for an analogy? Wow. Wow. It's All always right. good. Have a great <laughs> weekend out there. Yep. Take care folks. We'll talk to you next week.
1: All right. See you next week.